0: This talk is given by Vanessa Zvise Goddard, a writer and lay Zen teacher based in New York City. This talk, like all of Zvisei's talks, is offered freely. If you'd like to make a donation, find out more about Zvise's teachings, or sign up for a newsletter, please visit her website at Goddard.org. Thanks for listening. May the merits of these teachings benefit all beings. hello hello everyone it's really good to see you You and i didn't know when i sent my email if people would be scared or intrigued so i'm delighted to see that it seems to be the latter so let me tell you uh, what we're going to do Um, as i said in my email the word sutra means um, Sutra in Sanskrit or Sutta in Pali means uh, to thread together, to sew together. And I was thinking about this last week. There's a a kid that I've known from Zen kids since he was three. He's now 11, Colin. And for the last two years, actually April is is two years. For the last two years, I've been um, meeting with him and his mom, just teaching them Buddhism. And so um, last week we worked on some haiku, and as I was looking into the, the history of haiku, um, I read that, it's, uh, that it was actually a, a smaller, a shorter poem called Hoku, which was part of the renga, right? The, the collective uh, poems that um, Japanese poets or just sometimes regular people, you know, would get together in these kind of poetry salons and um one person would start you know would offer a line and then somebody would pick it up and would create together they would create a poem and a light bulb went off in my mind and i thought huh i wonder what it would be like to do a talk like this um and and there was something else i've been i've been joining the um westchester insight meditation sangha that gina sharp Leads, And she often will say, let's write the Dharma talk together, um, though she means it more in the sense of, um, you know, she begins with a topic and then people, you know, have questions and it, it goes on like that. So, so this is, I mean, we're not actually going to write it down, um, but we're going to create it together. And so the way that it will work is I will start. You know with just a a short passage a short teaching and then whomever wants to pick it up will do that you're picking up on what i said and you know there's there's a couple of um uh, guidelines let's say um one be brief so everybody who would like to have a chance and and by brief you know you don't have to to um you know time yourself or anything but you know just you know, couple minutes to three minutes um, so that anybody, everybody who would like to speak has a chance to, to do that. Uh, speak from your experience. So even if you reference uh, a teaching, if you reference a book, you know, perhaps that you've read recently, which is fine, do reference it, do attribute it, you know, so we know who it is that you're, you're quoting or referring to. But then more importantly, uh, tell us why that's important to you. Right. So I really don't want to hear, um, you know, that the fifth rank of Master Dongshan is unity attained. Well, that's great. But what does that have to do, you know, with you, with your life right now, with your practice right now, with your questions right now? Um, And, you know, I mean, you have all heard me give talks. And so, you know, that my my usual, you know, way of doing it is, you know, I have the teaching, but then I have, I bring in stories, I bring in anecdotes, I bring in examples of my own life, I bring in questions, so it's fine for you to, to come in, jump in with a, with a question, but then the person who, who goes after that needs to, if not answer it, at least, you know, thread, thread into it and, and, and move it, move it forward, um, or expand it or deepen it or, you know, whatever. There is no way to do this wrong, right? I mean, even if you, if you say something that you think is wrong, I mean, so what? You know, wrong according to who um, when we're exploring together? I mean, that's the whole point. I was thinking that cumulatively we have hundreds of years of wisdom and experience, uh, our lived lives, each one of us, the things that have worked, the things that haven't worked. Right, so 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 you also don't have to come into this, you know, knowing anything. It can be it can be a doubt, or it can be, you know, an example of something that didn't that didn't work, and that then can be a point of reflection. So um, so my my hope is that together then we can we can create this this fabric, this fabric of of wisdom. And, you know, after my turn, I don't intend to jump in unless we seem like it's really, you know, we're just really stuck. But otherwise, I just want to really let it unfold as it, as it will. And then I'll just come in at the end and, you know, give it a little closing or not. We'll, we'll see. So, any
1: questions before we begin? Okay. <clears throat> so um,
0: so my my hope is that together then we can we can create this this fabric this fabric of of wisdom. And you know after my turn I don't intend to jump in unless we seem like it's really you know we're just really stuck, but otherwise I just want to really let it unfold as it as it will. And then I'll just come in at the end and you know give it a little closing or not. We'll,
1: we'll see. So any questions before we begin? Okay.
0: <clears throat> so um, I just started editing a manuscript for Parallax Press on the eight realizations of great beings. And um, I think there seem to be like different versions of this teaching because I've seen it, just the contents are even, they're, they're different. So this particular version is used by um, the Thich Nhat Hanh order of interbeing. And it's a translation from um, the Chinese, from Pali to Chinese by a Vietnamese monk by the name of Anxi Kao. And this is early, early Buddhism. This is like first, second century, second century uh, of the common era. So Buddhism is just beginning and this sutra already exists. And it's very simple and it's really kind of a list and I'm not going to go through the whole thing now. So I'm just going to, to read to you the first realization. So it says, the first realization is the awareness that the world is impermanent. And then there's a little bit of commentary. Political regimes are subject to fall. Things composed of the four elements are empty, containing within them the seeds of suffering. Human beings are composed of five aggregates and are without a separate self. They are always in the process of change constantly being born and constantly dying. They are empty of self and without a separate existence. The mind is the source of all confusion and the body the forest of all unwholesome actions. Meditating on this, you can be released from the round of birth and death. And I'm just going to add one little bit uh, this book is by one of, that I'm working on, is by one of Thich Nahan's senior students, Brother Paphai, I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce his name. Um, and he said this about impermanence, which I thought was quite nice. He says, what can I do in this moment so that this breath, this step, this interaction can be the most meaningful breath, the most meaningful step, the most meaningful interaction that I've ever had. So he's really encapsulating impermanence with this statement. And so now I open it up to you.
2: Michelle. Um, thank you. Um, the thing that jumped out the most at me was the very end of this, the idea of impermanence and that each moment, how do we make each moment the most meaningful, the most change? For me, I've just started a new job and a new career, um, in a totally new field. And every moment is a brand new, fresh start, a new beginning. And and literally my life is a new beginning. And I that um statement brings it even more to the fore that every single second we have a new opportunity, that even if a A relationship is going bad or an interaction is going bad in the next second or the next minute or the next email we have an opportunity to craft a new start a new positive start because my brain always goes to oh impermanence that's bad that's scary it's unstable and yet this last statement is a complete paradigm flip for me that that this impermanence is actually a glorious opportunity to do good a billion times a day, every single day. So, thank you.
1: Sarah. Thank Michelle for that, because I feel like she helped crystallize something that was floating. that last part was what jumped out to me as well. And something I feel when he's talking about making each breath the most meaningful. And I, I feel like I waste a lot of time and, and there can be a pressure in, an in internal pressure that doesn't necessarily help me shift that. And one of the things that I've often turned to is the five impermanences. Um, And while I'm doing this thing that I feel is wasting time playing some mindless game, I will start chanting that in the back of my mind to start to make that shift. Um, And even if I don't make the shift, it it brings me into a place of just, am I at least enjoying what I'm doing? If I'm, I, you know, have a mind that likes puzzles and games and just really... Feel like I'm losing a little bit the thread that I was trying to bring into this, but that idea that every moment you can make a shift. I'm actually in one continuous thread and I was struggling this afternoon with staying in the container. And so I made a shift. I signed up for this because Zoom holds me accountable. I'm, you are seeing me and I'm being seen I'm more in the moment in a way that live stream doesn't always work for me. Um, so that idea that that it, impermanence does allow a shift at any time if you just become curious and almost playful in finding it.
0: And Saren, if I could, just for people who might not know, can you say the, the five
1: remembrances? Um, I am of the nature to grow old. I cannot escape death. I'm of the nature to have ill health. I cannot escape ill health. I am of, oh, it's been a while since I've done these. I am of the nature, old age, sickness, and death. Um, I am of the nature to die. I cannot escape death. Did I mess those up somehow? I did. You
0: you said that one, but everything I, everyone I know, Mm -hmm. everything I own.
1: Is of the nature to change. I cannot escape being separated from them. My only true belongings are my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. Thank you, Ryan. The the
3: five remembrances are a uh, teaching that I use as often as well, um, and what I what's so interesting to me is is that the so sort of the the first four remembrances are are, are speaking directly about impermanence you know um, related to ourselves and those we love and in and, and really everything and then the last one speaks so directly about our actions and um, and uh, amidst this impermanence and this truism that everything is going to fade away, eventually our actions are going to carry on and and have an effect. And I, I came from a place in my life when I first came to practice, I came to a place in my life where I lived in very sort of nihilistic ways. And... You know, and in, in a in very odd way, I don't think some of my views were all that far off from some Buddhist views, except that I didn't have, um, hadn't had any guidance or really um, done any soul searching or contemplation. And so a lot of, a lot of ideas really turned me towards this, uh, this sort of philosophy that nothing matters. And I love the way this teaching, and, and really all the teachings on impermanence turn us towards, no, everything matters and from and and really can be applied you know um, I'm not sure that I would have great examples but really these teachings can be applied to such small things in our lives that we just need to get get beyond you know I was speaking with I was speaking with uh, Amy recently about she was really struggling with something that she said to someone and it wasn't it wasn't a real significant thing, but it was bugging her the way she said it. And I thought to myself, how many times have I done that? Have I just not liked, I mean, I'll probably do it when I'm finished right now. I have not liked what I have said. And then, and then I'll I'll sort of, it'll go around in my head for a while. And I'll feel like it's the end of the world. But when I was thinking about it the other day with Amy, I couldn't think of one example. So it's, that said a lot to me about how important those things really are. But, but it, that's no small thing. It can help us get by those 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 sig- less less significant issues in our life, and can really help us face the significant ones. You know, the real life changes, the new job, uh, the aging parents. That's something that I'm working with. Whatever these the significant things in our life are. So I'll leave it there. Thank you.
4: Um, I wonder, could you um, repeat the beginning of that? Sure.
0: Yeah, because some of it is repetitive and a little abstract. Political regimes are subject to fall. And the awareness itself is the world is impermanent. Political regimes are subject to fall. Things composed of the four elements, air, fire, water, earth, are empty containing within them the seeds of suffering. Human beings are composed of five aggregates, the five skandhas, and are without a separate self. They are always in the process of change, constantly being born and constantly dying. They are empty of self and without a separate existence. The mind is the source of all confusion, and the body the forest of all unwholesome actions what do you think of that meditating on this you can be released from the round
4: of birth and death um there's my problem i don't know like um i i mean i like being alive i like this thing i don't why would i want to ever be released from that and right? I, I don't I mean, first of all, I don't even get what that means, like, to be released from that round of birth and death. But, I mean, I love being alive. And if I have to die and then get reborn again, like, that doesn't seem like such a bad, that doesn't seem like such a bad deal to me. And I guess maybe I'm not understanding it correctly. Because in my heart of hearts, I don't really believe that I'm going to, like, die and be reborn, you know. Um, so I have a real hang-up um, at that spot because I I don't really, you know. I mean, if I was going to be released and maybe go to heaven, where I could just be alive all the time without any suffering, like, that sounds good. But, like, I I really dig existence you know, as, as convoluted and confused and delusional as it is, I love it. (laughs) I love existing. I don't ever want it to stop ever. And I don't know if that's my hang up. I I like all the other stuff. You know, I really like, um, for instance, I was at Trader Joe's and I was talking to a black man there and um, telling him I grew up in white part of the country you know, Montana and talking to him about Buddhism. I don't know how I had this whole conversation with him in the space of time it took for him to ring, ring my groceries. But, um, you know, I told him like the four noble truths that life is suffering no matter how rich we are or famous we are, what color our skin is, we all suffer. You know, I really, I dig that, um, part of the teaching, but this whole thing about being released and released from existence, like who would want that?
0: Marguerite.
5: Thank you. Um, I definitely agree with you, Brooke. I want to live as long as I can. I like this side of the grass. I just like moving in space. I, I do understand, that the body is the source of actions. And those actions can be wholesome or unwholesome. I've been in situations like where they've been unwholesome and I even enjoyed the unwholesomeness of it. So I, I under, I understand that more and more. Um, And I, what I am afraid of though, I, I don't know if I'm afraid anymore, but I'm, I'm curious, I've decided to be curious about death. It makes me uh, more comfortable with it. And then I I got this realization as I sit and let go of my thoughts and let go of these feelings and let go of this and let go of that. I thought, I am getting ready to let go of my life. And that's good. I want to practice getting ready to let go of my life. So if, if this meditation practice helps me to let go, that's helping me to let go of this body, which I like. I like it. So, um, that's, that's just what I, what helps me. And I think letting go helps me realize impermanence as well, because when I let go, obviously it's gone. It's not there, whatever it is. So I know, and and most of all, I know impermanence after it's happened. Of course, I was with my mother at the moment of her death. I got her last breath. I was with my father as he... As his energy passed through his body, and I knew—I mean, I—I I was seeing it. I was with impermanence; it was changing radically. So I—I—I I, just—I mean, everything changes—it just so fast. So I've decided at this age, which I usually lie about, but I can be bold and say, at seventy-five, I don't want to have any more regrets. I want to. Be present to as much happiness. As I can for me and for others. So I don't know if I'm saving them. You know, I just want to be happy with them. And, um, Because I know, I know the moments are going by really fast, but, and, and it's like a merry-go-round. Sometimes I want to sing that song, stop the world. I want to get off, but, um, Thank you. And thank you, Michelle, for turning the um, idea of change into something exciting and, and happy and curious and uplifting rather than, you know, rather than dull and I mean scary even. So I guess that's why I get curious about death. And I know that I want to be happy as much as I can and help others to be because that's, um, it's all changing so much.
1: Adam.
6: um well you know talking about death and becoming comfortable with death i mean as as i was you know listening to you you know as we were listing all the things the sort of the uh the kind of horrible things that we are what we think of as horrible things like like death like which is unavoidable, like sickness, which is unavoidable, like seeing all of the things we own or think we own and care about and love that we're going to in some way and you know at, at some point and in one way or another lose them and that's that's a pretty stark reality, um but it's also a freeing reality because it is reality and that it's the place that we have to start from and that we have to live in and um you know i there's a phrase from um a Galway Canal poem called uh uh my god hold on it's uh i i'm i'm forgetting the name of the poem it'll come back to me but, but it it's about a you know a man looking at his daughter when she She's crying, and he she wakes and she wakes up and he goes in to comfort her, and it becomes a just a, a breathtaking meditation on on mortality and um, how he wishes he could save her from that and can't um, but he what he comes to at the end is uh, the line that really took my breath away, which is the wages of dying is love, and that. Is part of that's what we get uh for dying. We get everything else. That's what, what, what impermanence is what gives us everything. And uh gives us each moment, gives us the chance to realize that we are not a separate self. And that that and that changes moment to moment to moment. It was, I mean, it's that's I mean, it's such a commonplace thing to say, but it's kind of miraculous. Um, and I get, I was thinking about it again yesterday when the, when, you know, Derek Chauvin's, uh, you know, when he guilty verdict came, I was, you know, uh, the moment before that verdict came in, I was someone who was tense. You know, I mean, knowing that everyone else was, you know, the second I heard that word guilty, I just started crying. And now I was a different person. I'm, I'm a guy who was getting about, you know, about to try. To, I got some, some weights that I, I stuck in a room that I was about to start lifting weights. And there <laughs> I was crying. And I, was, and I went from a guy who was about to be lifting weights to a crying guy. And I, um, and I think, my God, a year, we saw videos a year ago. He was a, a man leaning on, you know, kneeling on another man's neck filled with I, I, but I, I can only assume is just hatred. And now he's a man who's going to jail and is looking at spending the rest of his life in jail. He's not the same man he was. It changes. And, and that's, and it, it's our actions. I mean, that carry us forward. And I don't know what the hell I'm saying other than, other than, uh, <laughs> uh and other than all just i the last thing I'll say just, this, you know, this morning when I was gonna right before I sat, I I was just still still thinking about it and thinking about him and and thinking, well, if everything is one thing, where does he fit in? Uh where do you know what if I'm if we are all that if it's one indivisible life, it has to include him and that was really hard and i tried to sit with that for a little bit and uh i will leave it at that thank you
0: adam before you go can you actually can you repeat that galway a line please
6: uh it, the wages of dying is love uh i will i will find I'll, i'm gonna find the poem and i will i will i'll share it i'll share a link to it in the in the chat it's just it's Great. I'm an evangelist for this poem,
0: <laughs> Thank you, uh, Chris.
7: I love that line, it sounds familiar. Maybe I've heard it, um, and uh, I keep thinking about um, love and uh, Angel Kyoto Williams, who said that Love is space, and I've heard her say it a couple times, and uh just the fact that it's like three words and it covers everything for me is somehow extra special and magical, and I think um for me it really connects to what Adam was just saying about how how I let everything in the world belong, and I feel like these days I'm really looking to, to do that. And, and the only way that seems really reliable is to, to give space, which doesn't always mean, you know, like physical space, like, you know, backing away from something or, uh, you know, clearing things off, although sometimes it's those things or pausing in my speech. Although sometimes it's that, it's like, Space is like a natural quality of things. And I discover more and more that it's always there and it's me. And then my ideas of trying to fix and adjust and pin down right and wrong and things like that uh, just occlude the space um, and clutter space. And so I'm really working to, to let space be itself and discovering how that is a way, the way to, to love, you know. And then, and then all, all the, the forms that, that space can take when we let it be, you know, when, when we uh, get out of our way and get out of the way of of other things that are just trying to be themselves. And, um, and somehow it makes it more uh, tolerable, although not less painful, to have things like murder in the world. It's, there's like such a, a deep mystery in that version of space you know, like, yeah, what was Derek Chauvin's life? I've been thinking a lot about, like, what was what was his life like, you know, when he was a kid and when he was uh, proven to, to not be a good person, to be a police officer, you know, and he was reprimanded so many times. Like, we let him down all those times, and then he did a terrible thing, you know, and, and got justice, perhaps you know, precisely what he deserves. And then just the sadness of how of that, that chain of, of, uh, of everyone being let down. Um, and the only way I can tolerate that, that version of space now is seeing like, oh yeah, that's what is. And that's what happened when a, a lot of people didn't, didn't give the right kind of space, you know, didn't make space and, and have love in the right way. Um, and uh, I wonder a lot about how, how I can give space and, and, um, and find the, the flavor of space that is love. So that's all. Jess.
8: It's an interesting way of, I, I have not thought since probably I heard originally about or read originally about uh, what Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd, I haven't thought too too much about like those, those other prior instances that we know about in his life and um, thinking about those times as times that were given insufficient importance and what it would have looked like to give other earlier moments, and I don't mean just in his life, but in all of our lives, of um, of not of cruelty or of mistreatment. Um, what the cost is of not treating each of those moments as the most significant moment. Um, I think about this a lot in my own life recently because I. Um, From Brooklyn but moved to the Bay Area and like it's really you know I mean it's also the people that I hang out with like as a midwife but um, the culture here is really different like people that I have experienced really do want to tell you what they feel (laughs) and really do want to engage with you about that and really do want to uh, express to you how you made them feel in a way that like in Brooklyn people were just like not (laughs) didn't really want to go there and um and so it's but the interesting effect that that has had on me which is being given is being given a framework in this conversation is because i have experienced that as being very heavy um and 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 sometimes as nitpicking and like oh come on i said what like that can't really be that big a deal But um, the way that I am now thinking about that is really what it might look like if we took seriously the idea of each interaction, of each moment as being the most significant. Like, careful what you wish for, then you might have to actually do it, right? Then you might have to actually invest in in each moment like that, and you might have to hear about it and be invested in your own behavior. One that I, one moment that i've been thinking about for six months is that i took a woman to it's longer than that actually um i had a woman who was in labor at the out-of-hospital birth center where i work and uh she she was colombian um and uh spoke both English and Spanish. She and I mainly spoke English, sometimes Spanish. Um, And she had a doula, like a birth support person with her who was Chicana. And um, she ended up needing to transfer to the hospital. And so I took her for for whatever reason. And so I took her to the hospital that was her choice, which was the public hospital um, for people who have public insurance. Um, and I had never been there before and it was one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. We'd all been awake for a very long time. We were all very exhausted and I, so I transferred her to the hospital and the staff came up to me and they looked at this woman, this brown woman who had a, you know, Latina sounding name and they said to me, the woman is right here and they said to me, does she speak, uh, what language does she, she, she speak or does she speak English? And I was so exasperated by them asking me this question, what language she speaks. I just said, she speaks English perfectly well. And they, and they kind of took her into her. room. And a month later, I heard from the doula how very offended she was by, in that moment, my, um, the, the tone in which I said that, that seemed to express a lot of things to her, classism, racism, that I had not in fact asked. Whereas in my mind, apart from just being very exhausted and thoughtless in that moment, I was drawing on all kinds of other previous experiences I had had in which not being English speaking meant that you would be treated poorly, meant that you would be set up to be treated badly. And so offering someone's English speaking at the beginning of an interaction was a way of helping to protect them in that moment. And this was like the most, <laughs> it was like half a second, right? But it has stayed with me. So I wonder what it would look like for us really to, to take this offering of taking seriously each moment as the most significant moment, even if then that is what, ha- even if then you have to actually deal with it, because then you have to actually
1: deal with it.
0: Sure.
9: Sorry, I couldn't figure out how to lift, do the lift my digital hand. Um, I remember uh, when I first heard the concept. I guess in a Dharma talk. Um, absolutely, you know, either at the temple or at the monastery the concept of we are constantly being born and we're constantly dying. And I had never thought that before. I had not, yeah, I had never thought that before. I was not aware of that idea and had never lived my life with that in mind. And it really rocked my world to hear that. And, um, it impacted me so because uh, I felt that, um, I felt that it was um, so completely true. And, I found it tremendously relieving because um, I realized that I, you know, for the most part, for most of my life, had kind of spent my, you know, most of my moments thinking about the future and thinking about the past. Really thinking, um, planning about the future and scheming about what I should have done with the past, you know, and what I can do in the future. You know, undo what happened in the past, and just cut scheming, you know, all the time. And so, the thought that really um, everything is coming, everything's changing. We're changing every molecule, every, inside of us and outside of us. All of us together, all of it changing all the time, coming and going. Um, was it? deep relief to me and just talking about it, it's a relief to me and it helps me be less afraid of dying. Um, Because, because it's, it's, it, uh, because I, I feel it, I feel it as something that's true and um, I can't change it. Nor what I want to, but I feel, it's like I feel it in my heart as something that's true. And uh, because of that, I I have a experience of like relieves all this pressure, you know, about how I'm trying to manipulate constantly, you know, constantly. Um, (laughs) So much energy, you know, into that kind of effort to manipulate, make things more of what I want and less of what I don't want and It's just, uh, you know, it's just a ridiculous thing to do and uh, such a waste of time. And it's not real. It's not true. It's not effective. You know, it's not something that can be done. And so, um, you know, to just sit back and be able to take a breath and um, just be aware of what's going on right at the minute, like right now. Um, is, a, is a deep relief. It's a deep relief. And, uh, you know, I'm so very grateful to have had that concept introduced to my mind and um, has helped me with getting through very difficult times, you know, and also getting through um, thinking that... Um, this is a wonderful time right now too. And, and really knowing that this is a wonderful time. It's not gonna be here an hour or tomorrow, you know, just this, this thing right now is fully rich. And, and, and this is it, you know? So it's been a great relief to me to have that concept in my life. So I am truly grateful about that.
1: So thanks.
0: I think that is actually a, a wonderful, wonderful place to 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 wrap this up. Um, I, I want to highlight a couple of things of uh, what I just experienced with all of you. But but let me just say uh, to Brooke and Marguerite, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, a few years ago, we were doing a, a study, but a study, you know, with with Roshi, the the monastics, the seniors, and um, we were talking about exactly this teaching, you know, Nirvana is, is complete cessation of the life of the round of birth and death, and which is according to you know traditional buddhism is tantamount to suffering this is the cycle of samsara endless suffering and that is why it is said we would want to put an end to that wheel that endless turning but <laughs> i said to shugan i think i may have shared the story at least with some of you i said to him you know i i, I don't know about this i mean i don't know bec- becoming fully enlightened like, first of all, where do you go? Like, where are you in space and time? Because I really like my life. I said, yes, it's hard. I mean, yes, there's suffering, but I really like my life. And he looked at me and he said, well, why don't you just get to like just before full enlightenment and then you won't have to worry about it. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> um, but I, I actually agree with you. I mean, you know, there are moments when I think, oh, my God, do I have to do this again? But really, generally speaking, I love life, and love this, and would be sad. I think we'll be will be sad. I hope I will be ready, but I will I will be you know a bit sad to to leave it. So so I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, in terms of this, I um, you know you don't need me. See, <laughs> you don't need me. Uh, I I really feel very, very touched, you know, very moved um, by, by all of you. You know, what I said is completely true. You know, all of these years of accumulated wisdom, you know, that are here. And that given the space, given the opportunity, just flower. And, you know, one of the things about... Um, uh, threading a sutra a, a teaching like this is that you really have to listen right so it's not just this this in, in in one direction where i'm the one speaking and you're the ones listening and maybe you're you know cooking dinner or actually you're not you, you you don't tend to do that but but you know it's it's easy to get distracted that here in order to really speak if you choose to do that you really have to hear what was said before Right, you really have to be present for it, and you really have to, to um, follow the thread. And I don't know if you're if you notice this, but there there were no non sequiturs. There were no things that kind of came out of, of left field. that were like, "Where's this person coming from?" You were really listening to one another, which I really have come to feel more and more is a, is is one of the most powerful expressions of the love you know that we were that we were speaking of you know to really give that offer that presence to one another and that listening and um you know i've I've had to really train myself to do that in my life and you know when i do this especially when i do this one-on-one with people and we're on zoom you know i have to be really there really attentive because it's easy you know and with with the screen to to just kind of zone out a little bit so um and when I'm able to do that, you know, the, the, the energy that I feel and the love that I really do feel for, for all of you. So I feel very, very grateful for having done this. For more talks, to get more information about Zvise's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessa Goddard.org.